Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. Um, If you would, go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. One of the things about, you know, being on mission for the Lord and and following Him, a lot of times that requires us to give up something. It requires us to be able to sacrifice different things in this world and different comforts of this world in order to follow the Lord and be on mission for Him. And in this passage, what we're going to read, we're going to learn about Elisha, and that's exactly what he does to follow the call of God. So we're going to start in verse 19. And it says this, So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Saphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelve. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them. And boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Let's pray. Lord God, we just praise you and we thank you for who you are in our lives. We thank you for each and every day, Lord, you waking us up and just giving us another day to serve you, to know you. Lord, I pray as we dive into your word right now that you would just use it to change our hearts. Lord, help this passage and these words to be so fresh in our minds and in our hearts, Lord, and help us to walk out different than when we came in. Lord, if there is someone in this room that doesn't know you, that doesn't have a relationship with you, I pray that today they can learn that they can have eternal life through your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray if there's any of us that you're working on our hearts to call us into missions, to step beyond ourselves, to surrender things in this life, to do more for you, I pray that you just give us the courage, Lord, to do those things for you. God, we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, who left everything to come to this earth, to suffer and die and raise again from the dead for us. Help us now as we worship you through the study of your word be changed by your spirit. And I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So this is what's going on in this passage. You have um, Elijah. Elijah who comes and he finds Elisha. Now, just to give you a little bit of background what's going on. Elijah was a great prophet of God. Okay? He was a great prophet of God, doing many great things for God, always being God's voice box, telling the truth to the nations there. And what had happened, he got to a place in his ministry where the nation of Israel were, were completely worshiping a false god named Baal. So Elijah gets to this point where he's going to have this big challenge. It's really a, a keystone in his ministry where they go up on top of this mountain with all the prophets of Baal, all these priests of Baal, And Elijah says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to set up two altars. And they set up these two altars, and maybe you're familiar with this story. And then Elijah said, okay, this is what's going to happen. You all will pray to your false god, Baal, 
and see if Baal will light these altars on fire. And then if that doesn't work, then I'll do it. And I'll pray to God to see if God will light these altars on fire. And whoever God does it, wins. And so that's his challenge. So they go up on this mountain. The, many of the nation of Israel are surrounding them. The prophets there, the priests of Baal, they begin to pray. And for hours and hours and hours, they do these chants. They cut themselves, calling out to their false god, Baal, to light their altar on a fire. And it doesn't work. So Elijah says, okay, it's my turn now. So that's what he does. He begins to pray, says this pr simple prayer to the Lord, and God lights his altar on fire. But before that, what's even more incredible is he didn't just light this dry wood altar on fire. He, Elijah says, this is what I want. I want to build a trench around this altar, and I want to fill it completely with water. I want to soak these logs so you know it's nothing that I did, no magic trick, nothing like that. It's completely of God. And so he prays. God lights the altar on fire, and the nation of Israel around them say, Truly, the God of Israel is the one and only God. And so they enact capital punishment upon the priests of Baal. They take them down, kill them. And so at this point, it should be this great revival in the nation of Israel, right? Everyone's going to come back to God. They've noticed His power. They should come back to Him. But at this time, the queen of Israel, Jezebel, she was a, a Baal worshiper all the way. And now she is mad at Elijah because, of course, Elijah killed her favorite preachers, right? These prophets of Baal. And so, so she's mad at him. She sends him a letter saying, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to put a head on your head. And so now Elijah has to run. And he runs away, scared of this situation. He finds himself finally in, the, in a cave in a mountaintop all alone. God comes to him in this moment and he says, why are you here, Elijah? Why are you here instead of somewhere else where I've told you to work and to serve me? And Elijah pours his heart out to God. He says, I feel like I'm all alone. I feel like I'm the last one on planet Earth serving you and trying to give my all for you. Everyone is wicked and, and I, now they're seeking my life to kill me. I feel like I'm all alone. And we can get like that sometimes in life. Especially if we're trying to serve the Lord with all our hearts, sometimes we can just feel like we're the only ones left. Like we're all alone. But God comes to him and he says, you know what, you're not alone i got seven other 7,000 other people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And not only that, I've got some other people that have come along to help you. And one of those people that he mentioned to Elijah was this guy named Elisha. And so Elijah picks himself up, goes about his business the way God had called him to, and that's where we find him here as he finds Elisha. And so in verse 1, this is what it says. We see first Elisha's wealth. It says, So he, and that's Elijah, he departed thence, and he found Elisha, the son of Saphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelve. Now, when, he's, when it says this, a yoke of oxen, many of you guys know what a yoke is. You can kind of see it in a picture that I had, but a yoke is this, this curved wooden beam that kind of goes over two oxen, their heads, and it has like a loop where you can put their heads through, and that's what presses against their shoulders so they can pull the plow. Now, if you ever go to a crackle barrel, you probably see one of these on the wall somewhere, okay? Um, but that's a yoke. And so when you have 12 yoke of oxen, that's 24 oxen. Now that is a lot of plows going for a field. If you can imagine plowing a field with having 12 combine harvesters, right? If you have 12 of these puppies, then you have a lot of fields to plow and to harvest. And that's what's going on. Most commentators believe that this was evidence for Elisha's wealth and his family's wealth. And he owned these oxen. We'll see a little bit later why we can see that he definitely owned those. But he had great wealth. See, Elisha was in the middle of working his job. He had a comfortable living, was set up financially for the rest of his life. And then Elijah comes to him. 
So you see the call of God's, God's call in his life. And in the later part of that verse, it says, Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle, or his outer cloak, upon him. Now, that's really weird, right? If you're just standing at work, and some total stranger comes up to you, takes off their jacket, and just throws it on you, and then just walks away, you'd be like, thank you, I guess. I mean, I don't know what to say, right? That's really weird, and so we don't really understand that. But culturally, what was going on there, Elisha knew. This was evidence of God's call upon his life. The prophet of God had taken out off his outer cloak, put it on Elisha, saying, hey, you're God's man next. There's also this sign of inheritance. If you kind of remember uh, the story of Jonathan and David, Jonathan was the prince of, Egypt, of Israel. David was just a poor shepherd boy, but they were friends. And Jonathan gets to this place where he takes off his royal cloak and he puts it on David saying, hey, what is mine is yours. If you ever heard the, the term, the guy will give you the shirt off his own back, right? That's evidence of someone that's willing to give you anything that belongs to him. And that's the kind of idea here is that Elisha was going to inherit this ministry, was going to have the call of God upon his life for a ministry that God's calling him to. In this next part, we see his motive. In verse 20, it says this, And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? Now, Elijah says, go back again, what have I done to thee? That's his way of saying, hey, this is not my calling upon your life, this is God's calling upon your life. So Elisha asks, hey, can I go back, can I say goodbye, can I kiss my mother and my father? And me at this point, I question, okay, what's his motive for saying goodbye? Because it, it reminds me of this story in the Gospels of Jesus. There's this young man that comes up to Jesus and he says, hey, let me go first and bury my father and then I'll follow you. And most believe what he was really saying in that moment, not just that he wanted to bury his father, but he wanted to go and wait for his father to pass on so that he can get the inheritance, get set up financially, and then follow the Lord. And so we have to question, okay, is that what Elisha is trying to do? Is Elisha just saying, hey, let me go back, let me get set up, let me get everything taken care of, and then once I'm totally secure, then I'll follow you. Well, in the next verse, we see his surrender. And it says in verse 21, and he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them. And he boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave it unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. See, Elisha goes back and he takes those oxen that he was plowing with and he kills them. And he has a barbecue, right, for his whole friends and family to get together to eat, to have a goodbye party. But not only that does he kill the oxen, but it's interesting, it says he takes the instruments of, ox, of the oxen. Now that's that yoke I was talking about. That's the beam that used to hold the plow. That's all the ropes that they used with the plow stuff. And he burns that. That's the fire that he uses to cook the meat. See, what Elisha was really doing at this point was saying, there's no plan B, right? I mean, if it's me, I would think, okay, I, I'd go back and I'd tell my parents, hey, hold on to my oxen for me, hold on to uh, the plow and everything, because just in case this God-following thing doesn't work out, I'll come back to it. But not Elisha. Elisha burned his plows. He was saying, there's no plan B, there's no reservations, I'm going after God. So he burns his plows, and he follows the Lord. See, he was willing to get rid of the comforts of this wife, willing to say goodbye to it all, to leave it behind, to follow God's call on his life. And the thing is, Elisha's not the only one that's called. We are all called to serve the Lord. 
We are all called to do ministry for God. The Great Commission, you read in Acts 1.8, where Jesus says, You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. In Mark 16.15, he says, And you are to go and to preach the gospel to every creature. In Matthew 28, 18-20, he says, All power in heaven and earth has been given unto me, so go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe and to do all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. See, that calling to make disciples, to go out, to preach the gospel, to tell other people about Jesus, that's not just for pastors and missionaries. That's for every single one of us that claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We are all called to minister every single day, to tell other people about Jesus, to spread the gospel to everyone that we meet. That's the calling on God's, on our life from God. The only thing about that calling is sometimes it's hard to leave our place of comfort to fulfill the calling of God. You know, uh, Haley, as I said, she's pregnant, and during this last Christmas, she got a, uh, she asked for one thing, she asked for a pregnancy pillow. Now, um, if you guys don't know what that was, okay, or what that is, it's this long, slender pillow that's kind of the shape of a C. And basically what it's meant is for you to put it in the bed with you. And so when you get in bed at night and you're pregnant, this pillow kind of wraps around you completely. It's like being hugged by like a Wookiee or something. You know, just <laughs> a complete hug, you know, just bear hug in there. You're supposed to be completely comfortable. And so this is what happens. At night, you know, we'll go to get in the bed. Haley will get in the bed. She'll get that pillow all wrapped around her perfectly, pull the blankets up to her neck, be totally comfortable. And then she'll realize she's thirsty. And she'll go, hey, Jake, you know, uh, can you give me something to drink? You know, and that's how it is, right? Have you ever been to a place where you're just so comfortable, you don't want to move? Like you get into a recliner, you got your blanket on, you're watching TV, you're so comfortable, you realize you have to use the restroom, you're like, not even worth it, I'm staying here, you know? You ever get to that point where you're so comfortable, even if you need something, right? Even if you're thirsty, even if you're hungry and you want something to eat, even if there's a need there, you don't want to move because you're comfortable. Sometimes we can get that same way. We recognize the need in the world. We recognize that there's people all over this world that are dying and going to hell without knowing Jesus Christ, but we're too comfortable to do anything about it. Sometimes we're too comfortable to share it with our coworker, to go across the street to share Jesus with a neighbor. And that's a lot of times we are too comfortable to fill God's call. We see that there's three major things, three major areas of comfort that Elisha willingly gave up to follow the call of God in his life. And there are three areas that I think all of us can give up a little more. So in verse 19, you see it says, so he departed, or in verse 19, he says he was with 12 yoke of oxen. So we saw that Elisha had great wealth. And the first thing he's willing to give up is that trust in his wealth. See, he gives up that comfort. He gives up that comfort and that wealth that he had, the comfort in his job that he had, to follow the God's call in his life. And that's a major area that's hard for us. It's hard for us to stop trusting in our bank account. It's hard for us to stop trusting in wealth and the things that we have in our possessions and start trusting in God. There's a story in Mark. If you want to turn there, you can read it with me. But story in Mark 10 in verse um, 20. What happens here is this, many of you guys know, it's very familiar. A rich young ruler a very rich young man comes up to Jesus and asks what it's going to take to follow him. 
And Jesus basically says this first. He says, hey, have you kept all the commandments? And the rich young ruler says, yes, I've kept all of the commandments. I've followed them my whole life. And in verse 20, this is, this is what Jesus says to him. Verse 21. It says, then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Now that's key. What Jesus was about to tell him was came from a place of love for this man. He says, and he said unto him, one thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. In verse 25, he goes on and says, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of times we hear that story, right? We hear the story of this rich young ruler. We hear the story of how it's easier, Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And we hear that. We hear these rich and we assume that he's not talking about us. But the thing is, we are rich. Just compared to who? Do you know that the global median income, in order to be considered middle class in this world, you make $2,100 a year. That's the middle class for the world. In in an article written by the Washington Post, they came out with that even if we adjust for cost of living, Americans on average still make 10 times more than the average person in the world. And if you live below the poverty line in the United States, even if you live below the poverty line in the United States, you are still in the top 14% of the richest people in the world. That means 86% of people are poorer than you, even if you live below the poverty line in the United States. See, in the United States, we are so rich. When Jesus was talking to this rich man and saying it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, he was talking to us. We're rich. And sometimes we can get so consumed with trusting in our riches or so consumed with going after materialistic things instead of going after Christ. In his book, Radical, David Platt put it a very interesting comparison. This is what he said. He said, it's very easy for us now, over 100 years removed from slavery, right, to look back at people that own slaves. And especially there are some even confessing Christians that own slaves. And we think, man, how could they have missed that? How could they have been so wrong? And it's easy for us now over a hundred years to look back on them, see how they were wrong, see how they messed up, see how they totally missed the point of so many scriptures. But he said this, he said, I wonder what people and Christians a hundred years from now will look back on us and see that we've missed. And this is what he said. I think that Christians are going to look back on us, especially American Christians, and look at us and all of our wealth and all of our riches and all our possessions and see us as rich people who let the world starve said, how are my great-great-grandchildren would look back on me and think, man, you had so much and you gave so little. See, it's easy for us to just trust in these riches, to go after them. It's easy for us in part of our culture. Is It's normal. It's normal to heap to ourselves more and more possessions and to give less and less and become so comfortable in our wealth. And it becomes very hard for us to give that up to follow Christ. In 1 Timothy, it says, if we have clothes and food, we should be content with that. If we got clothes, food, and Jesus, that's all I need. 
And in Matthew 6, Jesus said we should be seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You know, I think it's so impressive that Elisha in this moment had all of his wealth, had all of these possessions, had his job before him and said, I'm leaving it all behind to follow the God, God's call in my life. Maybe we should do the same thing. The second thing he gives up is his relationships. You see in, in the passage that Elisha had to say goodbye to his family. He had to say goodbye to his mother and to his friends and to his family there. And the reason he's going back, and he doesn't know if he's ever going to come back again. We don't read of him coming back to seeing his family again. He might have. He might not, might not have. We don't know for sure. But he's willing to give that up because he valued his relationship with God as greater than his relationships on this earth. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus puts it like this. If any man comes to me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brothers and his sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be his disciple. Now that's hard words from Jesus, right? If you don't hate your family, you can't follow me. And he even says if you don't hate your own life also. And what does that mean? It means basically that you value Jesus as more. I think it's crazy to think about even his friends and his family at this time in Elisha. He's saying, hey, I'm leaving this behind to go. They must have thought he was crazy. To even to be like a missionary, to pack up everything and go across the world, your unchristian friends might think, wow, you're nuts. What, do you hate your family or something? I know this one missionary. Her name is Karen Worth. And she's been in Indonesia for many, many years. When she was a young woman, she graduated college. She packed up everything, never had gone to the country of Indonesia before. Packed up everything said goodbye, and left for that country. And has served there for decades. And I could think, like, what her unchristian friends must have thought at that moment. What, do you hate your family or something? Why are you just leaving them behind? She valued her relationship with Jesus as greater. You know, we know that Jesus doesn't want us to hate our family. You read Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 6, you see Jesus' value and the value he has on our family, but... We have to come to the point where the relationship we have for Christ is far greater than any other earthly relationship. Where we're not putting our hopes and our dreams on our family here on this earth, our friends and these relationships that tie us here, but all of our hope is in Jesus Christ. Sometimes it means going away from family to serve the Lord. And that's a hard thing. I understand that, but what's awesome is that is the promise that Jesus gives. In that same passage with the rich young ruler... You come back to that passage in Mark chapter 10, and, and this is what happens. His disciple Peter comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, we've given up everything for you. I mean, if you think about Peter, he left, his, he left his job as well, left his family to follow Jesus wherever he would lead. And this is what Jesus says to him. Verily I say unto you, there is no man that has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospel's but he shall receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. Jesus says, you give up this stuff for me, you'll get a hundredfold back. doesn't mean that we're going to be, if we give $5, we'll get $500. It doesn't mean we're going to get rich or anything like that, but it's like this. When I was nine years old, like I said, I was born in Texas. My parents sat me and my siblings down and said, you know what? We're moving to Hawaii. And I know what you guys might think, oh, you might have thought it was awesome, right? 
I was nine years old. I could not have cared less about Hawaii, right? I was only focused on my friends, my school, my baseball. That's all I cared about at that time in my life. And so for me to move anywhere was like a shock. I'm leaving my family. I'm leaving my friends behind. And then God took us on this journey. And I could see what Jesus means by that. You know, we live thousands of miles away from our extended family here in Texas, but God gave us a church family that was so close. Brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers within this church that loved us and cared for us and that we shared meals together and that we were hung out together. See, when we are willing to give up things for Christ, He blesses us over and abundantly. I know there's this one picture I saw is of this little girl. She's holding so tight to this little tiny teddy bear. And Jesus is standing in front of her and he's holding out her hand saying, you know, give me that tiny teddy bear. She's holding tight to it, but behind Jesus' back, he's holding a huge teddy bear and flowers and candy. And we're willing to give up things for Christ. He gives us so much more than what we had. Sometimes that involves doing the hard thing of saying goodbye to even our family, as Elisha did. The next thing he did, though, he gave up, was the known. If you notice um, in, in the passage there, Elijah comes to him and says, you know, puts the cloak on him and goes away, and he doesn't say anything about where they're going. He doesn't tell him any information. He doesn't say, hey, we're going to be gone this long, we're going to this place, we're going to be here for a while. He doesn't tell him any information, but Elisha willingly follows him. You know, we find comfort in the known, right? The unknown scares us. Like me personally, I like to plan things, right? I'm a planner. It kind of drives my wife nuts sometimes. But I like to plan things out. And if something doesn't go according to plan, I get anxious and worried and, well, what's going on, right? And I think about that, that Elisha had to step away completely from the known of his life, working his job to step into the unknown, And even if we're not planners, we get so comfortable in our routine, right? So tomorrow is Monday, and the majority of us are going to wake up, we're going to get dressed, eat breakfast, have our coffee, go to work, go to work all day, come home to work, hang out with the family, eat dinner, watch some TV, and go to bed. Tuesday, what are we going to do? We're going to wake up, we're going to get dressed, we're going to go to work, we're going to come home. It's the routine, and we can get so comfortable in that routine where anything outside of that scares us and frightens us. To leave that routine behind would be so scary. And if you think about Elisha, that's literally what he was doing. He was on the job working when God said, hey, just leave this and come and follow me. Can you imagine that just tomorrow, calling your boss saying, hey, listen, sorry, I'm moving to China. Sorry, I'm talk to you later it would be crazy right we think that's so nuts but if you're following christ that's normal he leaves the known because he trusts in the god of the unknown see god knows what's going to happen jesus knows what's in it and he tells us everything we know and in, in john chapter 16 he comes to this place where jesus says this he says in this life you will have tribulation He tells us what's going to happen. Listen, you're going to go through life. You're going to face trials. You're going to face temptations. You're going to face hardships. You're going to face walls. You're going to face things that you don't think it's impossible to overcome. You're going to face hardships in this life. But he doesn't stop there. Jesus says, in this life you will face tribulation, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. We can trust that we can step into the unknown knowing that Jesus already has it under his control. He knows what's going to happen in any wall we come against. He's bigger and better to defeat anything in our lives that trouble us. 
See, we can step into that unknown. We can walk by faith and not by sight because we can trust in a Father. We can trust in our God who is bigger than any problem we'll come against. See, when Elisha stepped away from his job into the complete unknown, it wasn't that he was trusting in his own abilities. It's because he was trusting in God. Sometimes that's what God calls us to do as well. He trusts us to step out of the known and into the unknown. And if we can trust Jesus for our salvation, I think we can trust him for the rest of our lives as well. That's what Elisha did. He stepped into that unknown. You know what, what's incredible to me about this passage is, is Elijah's choice. You know, he went on and he did great things for God, but what if he didn't? What if he had made the different choice? What if he had just said, you know what, Elijah, I'm good. Here's your coat back. I'm going to stay right here. He kept plowing those fields. He might have got married, had kids, would have lived a decent life, and then died and passed it down to his kids. Probably nothing crazy would have happened to him. But he wouldn't have had any great effect on this world around him. So this is the rest of the story. This is what happens. So he goes and he follows Elijah for a while. And then Elijah gets taken up into heaven in chariots of fire. And God blesses Elisha with the new ministry of being his prophet. So Elisha goes on, and almost immediately he comes to this woman who lost her son, right? Her son is dead. She comes to Elisha and begs him, hey, what's going to go on with this? My son is now dead. So Elisha, in the power of God, he goes into the boy's room, lays on top of him, and that boy comes back to life. There's another time where there's a widow woman whose husband had recently died and left her family in debt. She had two sons, and the debt collectors were coming to take these sons away forever, maybe. And so she comes to Elisha and she says, hey, this is what's going on. My sons are going to be taken away from me. He says, what do you have? She says, I only have a little cruise of oil. He says, I want you to go and borrow all the pots you can from your neighbors. So she buys all these pots. She brings them to her home and she starts pouring out that little bit of oil. And it continues to pour and to pour and to pour until there's no pots left. She's able to sell that and save her children. There's another time where there's this great general named Naaman. He was from Syria, and Syria were enemies of Israel even at this time. But he comes because he has leprosy. He comes to Elisha, and he asks for a cure, and God God cures Naaman, and Naaman proclaims a a pagan, pagan general, proclaims that only God of Israel is the true God. Can you imagine the effect that happened in Syria because of Naaman's testimony? There's other times when Elisha does great things where he helps battles be won. There's other times where there's these people are gathered around and their, their soup has been poisoned and Elisha heals the soup where they're able to eat it and not die from it. Another time, just like Jesus, there's a lot of people and there's a little bit of bread and Elisha breaks this bread and breaks it and breaks it so everyone can eat. And the power of God, Elisha did great things. Hundreds of people's lives were saved and affected. Thousands touched by the power of God. All these people, he had, an, he had changed their lives, but none of it would have happened if he stayed where he was at. None of it would have happened if he didn't make the choice to step out of the comfort and into the call of God. You know, there's a lie in this world. The lie tells us that in order to be happy, we have to be comfortable. That comfort is going to bring us ultimate joy, but it doesn't. Comfort doesn't lead to eternal joy. Only following Christ does that. There's this, there's this psalm in Psalm 1611 where it says this, Thou will show me the path of life. In thy presence 
is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. If we're really seeking joy in this life, it's only to be found in the pursuit of Christ. Only in surrender can we experience the true joy. And only through following the call that He's given us to go into this world and to make disciples can we see God work through us in amazing ways. There's this this group of um, Christians called the Moravians. They lived in Germany in the early 1700s. During this time, you know, it's the height of slavery, and so slaves were being shipped over from Africa into what they knew as the West Indies, what we know as the Caribbean. And these, these guys, these Moravians, they had heard about this. And they felt touched in their heart. They wanted to get the gospel to these slaves there in these islands. But it was illegal for them to go. These were privately owned islands. They couldn't just go and show up and start preaching the gospel. So two of these guys, they got this idea. Their names was Johann Dober and David Nishman. They said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to sell ourselves into slavery. That's what they decided to do. The only way to get to that island for them at that point was to sell themselves into slavery for the rest of their, their lives. Just so they had the opportunity to share the gospel with those slaves on the islands. So that's what they decided to do. En route to go to the islands, they were going through some different countries, and a judge actually put a halt to it. says, you can't do this. You know, there's, it's illegal for white people to be slaves. So they kept getting barrier and barrier and barrier. Finally, they were able to secure passage to one of these islands and where they had to do everything by themselves. They had to work themselves. The plantation allow, owner allowed them to come on, but they couldn't help them out at all. So they went there, left their family, left their country behind, and went to these islands. Sooner or later, other Moravian missionaries came over to these islands. After it was all said and done, over 13,000 people, 13,000 of these slaves, came to know Jesus as their Savior because they were willing to leave behind the comforts of home and follow the call of God. Now, what plows do we need to burn? What things do we need to get rid of in our lives that we need to turn away from so that we can better follow the call of God in our lives? Maybe it's things we're just trusting in our riches, we're trusting in possessions, and that's what we're seeking after, and we need to just burn those plows and give more to God. Maybe it's the comfort of relationships, or maybe the comfort of the known, the routine. You know, some of you in this room, I don't know what it is for you, but maybe you're here and you need to just deny this world and accept Christ. You don't know for sure if tomorrow, if you were to die, if you'd end up in heaven or not. Today, if you, you can get that right with God, where you can know that you have a relationship with Him, where you know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and you will spend eternity with Him forever. Maybe there's some of us in this room that God is calling you to be a missionary. Maybe God is telling you in your heart, you know what? I want you to give up everything you know to go and reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or maybe it's just simply this. Maybe it's just simply for us to get out of our comfort zones and cross the street and share the gospel with a neighbor. To tell our coworkers more faithfully about the God who has saved us. What plows do we need to burn? What's really incredible about this is that is exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus was in heaven, all glory, angels singing praises to his name, had everything, and he left all of that to come down, to humble himself, and become as a man. 
to sweat like us, to work like us, to hunger like us, to cry like us. And then He goes and He suffers and dies on the cross for us. Raises again from the dead. He left everything to come and reach us. Shouldn't we be willing to leave everything and reach others for Christ? What plows do we need to burn?